Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so honored and delighted that you are with us this morning. If this is your first time with us, or maybe it's your first time back in a long time, we just want to extend an extra special welcome to you. If you are worshiping with us online, I want to remind you we have online hosts who are available all throughout the service who would be delighted to answer any questions you have, to share some time in prayer together. So you can engage in the chat over on the right-hand side all throughout the service. And if you'd like to go into a one-on-one -on -one private prayer chat, you can click that button that says Request Prayer, and you'll go into a chat with one of our online hosts. Well, this morning is a very special morning. We are celebrating Youth Sunday. We are honoring our youth and especially celebrating our seniors who are graduating. So you came on a wonderful and very exciting morning. I'd love to invite you now to stand, if you are able, for our call to worship. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore, you are 
God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious.
Our scripture reading for today comes from Galatians chapter 4. This is verses 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord.
let's come before the Lord in prayer together. Abba, Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to address you as Abba, such a familiar, intimate name for a holy God. We thank you that in Christ we are no longer slaves all the things in this world that try to weigh us down, all of the darkness and brokenness that comes from our sinful condition, we can leave it behind because in Christ we are free. In Christ we are children. We are yours. That's the most true thing about us is that we are yours. And so, Father, I pray over each person in this room and those worshiping online from wherever you have them today. Holy Spirit, would you weed out the lies? Anything that tries to convince us that our identity is found in anything but you and who you've called us to be. You have chosen us. You have loved us. You have given everything for us. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from you, from your love. Let that be the most true thing. Holy Spirit, right now, for those in this room who are having trouble believing that they are loved, will you convince them? Will you make our hearts open to you, to this truth that we are yours? Father, we love you. We can't do any of this apart from you. We pray above all that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in our midst today. We pray for an encounter with you, that we would become more and more aware of just how near to us you are, how powerfully and mightily you are working in us and through us. And Holy Spirit, we depend on you completely to come, to open our eyes to see in our ears to hear, and our hearts to be humble and tender enough to receive what you have for us in your good and perfect word this morning. Oh, Jesus, we love you. It's all in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. And I'm excited to see all of you. And it's Youth Sunday. And before we go any further, students, I'm really sorry. Um, in my head, when I said sit on the left side, I was thinking of from where I'm at. So I need all of you to move over here. Um, and I realized it as Bethany was praying. So you, I'm, you got to just... No, no, you got to go. It'll be weird if you're over here. Trust me. Trust me. Um, they're all annoyed at me. Um, it's par for the course. Um, it's my fault. Um, well, for, for everybody, welcome. Um, whether you're in person or online, we'd love it. We've got connection cards. We'd love it if you'd fill that out to let us know you were here. Um, we also, we would love to know how we can be praying for you. So please make sure to let us know your prayer requests. We have our prayer team, and we have staff and different people, and, and our, our pastors, we pray for that every week. And so please let us know how we can be praying for you. Um, our most youth-relevant announcement for this morning, um, 
we have our mission trip barbecue fundraiser. It's happening next week. Um, and so we're selling pork. Um, and I'm biased, but I think it's really good pork. Um, and our, we're going to cook it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So only for those at home, only one person clapped. So let that influence you in whether you buy it or not. Yeah. So see. Um, but... Um, for 25 bucks, you get a pound and a half of meat. That is a lot of meat. Um, and then you get sauce and four buns. The meat and the sauce are gluten-free. We don't do gluten-free buns, but they come in a separate bag. So if you're gluten-free, you can still partake, but find your own carb or something with them. Um, but uh, that's next Sunday. Um, today, you can order online, or we've got sheets for those in person. Um, and then we'll maybe have some leftover next week. Um, but we do, we make a little extra, but we do please order in advance, because then we know how much to make in the first place. Um, effective as of two days ago, masks in the state are optional. Here, if you're online here, we still have our distance seating. We've got wristbands available, and um, I'm not going to butcher this, um, but I'm wearing a green wristband. I'm comfortable being around you all. If you're wearing a yellow or red, and you'd like to talk to me after the service, I, it's over there, but I have a mask, so just, just like look at me, and I'll put my mask on, because I'd love to talk to you, no matter where you're at, with all of this. Um, we have a Springbrook app, and um, finally... Um, Hannah and Sarah, can you come up here? So, Okay, so it is Youth Sunday, and Hannah and Sarah are seniors who are graduating. You might recognize them. Two weeks ago, they both got baptized. So, yeah, amen. Amen. Um, and on Youth Sunday, it's a tradition of ours to have the, and we've only done this twice, so tradition might be disingenuous, but um, we asked the seniors to share where they're headed and what they hope to do and their names. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we go any further, I'm going to pray over them. So I don't know what the least awkward way. I'm going to pray from here. So, (laughs) oh, Lord, we thank you for Hannah and Sarah. Lord, a couple weeks ago, it was such a joy to hear their testimonies. Um, And Lord, I've been at the church five years. I feel like you've let me live a part of the story you're doing in their lives, and I am so grateful for that. And it's so amazing to see the way you've worked in their lives. Um, I felt such joy hearing them talk about turning points when they started living in obedience to you and living for you. And I can remember those moments in, in little pieces, and I know the work you've done in them is so much greater than we'll know on this side of glory. But Lord, I pray as they go off to school, um, I I pray you would be with them. I pray that you would be strengthening them. I pray that you would be preparing them even now for what is next. And Lord, I pray that the, the message today they would take to heart, that they would recognize the battle lines as you've drawn them, that they would not look to the powers of the world or look to compete against those powers, but would instead look to have a heart like yours, or a heart that follows after yours. 
I thank you for the way our youth ministry has been blessed by them. Um, I am very sad that they are, I'm happy they're graduating, but Lord, I am sad that they are graduating. And I I thank you for the way that they have endured through this last crazy year. And I, I pray for the next year as they go to school that you would be preparing the church where they will attend the Um, Christian brothers and sisters that that they will come to know. And and also, I pray you'd be preparing them to enter the world, just prepared to show the world who you are and to glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, girls. So it's Youth Sunday. um, And this is the first service So it is only the first part of the sermon. Um, The last time we did a Youth Sunday, I used it as an excuse to preach for 80 minutes, um, and I'm going to do that again today. Um, You can find the second part by sticking around, or it'll be online, um, and we're streaming it, and then it'll be online later on our website or podcast. Um, Also, under our housekeeping students, tonight we have youth group from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., where we will be throwing dodgeballs at each other for the first time in over a year. So I'm ready to hit you all in the face with dodgeballs. I can't say the sermon title. You'll know why later, but I can't say the sermon title. Today we're looking at the Philistine and David. We're looking at the story of of David, a, a shepherd, and the way the Lord used him to deliver Israel. Before we jump into that, since it's senior, it's like Youth Sunday, um, this is me in high school. Um, I'm wearing a Zorro the Musical shirt, um, and this is a picture from our yearbook from my senior year where I was a part of the academic decathlon team. Um, Now, some of you may say, that's not unbelievable because I seem kind of nerdy, but in high school you would have chuckled at the idea that I would be allowed to be on that team. I'm not really on the academic decathlon team. One of the people in this photo um, realized that the yearbook had to submit all their photos and get them formatted and printed before the academic decathlon. And so this is a picture from our first and only meeting as academic decathletes. And yet we are remembered for all of however long people have my high school yearbook as academic decathletes. This morning, we're going to talk about the story of the Philistine and David. But but to start, I want to tell you that I am a contrarian. Um, And in some ways, it's terrible. And in some ways, I think it's a very good thing. As we start talking about this story, I want to tell you on the front end, I want to be very open about this. I have never in my life heard the story, and I'm going to say the name here. I only get to say it twice the whole morning. Um, I've never heard the story of David and Goliath preached right. I've never heard it taught right. I've never heard it done right at all. And I right now sound very arrogant. But I hope by the end of the day, you see the story the way I do. And you see the story not the way that man sees the story but you have eyes like God's and you see and consider this story in the way that he does. Because a lot of times we don't really think about the things that we see or we assume the way we see them is correct. When I graduated from high school, I don't know if you still do this. Do you guys have like a senior song that you picked out to graduate to? No. 
When I was in high school, that was cool to do, I guess. Um, and this is the song that I, in high school, that our class voted as the graduating song, and I hated it. Um, this is a song by Green Day. I'll say the name in a minute, but they sing, it's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. And so that's the song they played as we graduated. And most of you, if you listen to the radio at all, probably know the song I'm talking about. Um, and, and this song bothers me to be used as a high school graduation song for multiple reasons. The first is, we had two to 300 people in an auditorium that we had prepared to rent out a year in advance. Our school had said, hey, we need Drake University, we need, to, we need your arena so that we can have our students come and do a graduation. So was it unpredictable? And was it unpredictable that 300-ish of us graduated? I don't think so. And so that bothers me. And then there's another thing that bothers me. If you go just one step deeper into understanding what this song is about, the guy who wrote this song, his name is Billy Joe Armstrong. And he wrote this song about his girlfriend named Amanda. I think it's hilarious that he makes sure to say her name when he talks about it. Who moved to Ecuador with him naming the song Good Riddance to show his anger towards her. The guy who wrote this song wrote this song because he was like, and he says this in interviews, he said, the song is all the mature things I was supposed to say, while in my heart I was seething. I was so angry at her because she moved to Ecuador and just broke up, and I thought we were going to be together forever. And so that's the song we graduated to, a song called Good Riddance. What was the message? Maybe that was what us seniors were saying to the high school. Um, but, but I joke here because I, I think about this, and then I hear this song all the time. And when I hear this song, it's always sentimental. But the guy's point behind the song was, I'm going to say the mature thing, but I do not mean it in the least bit. And so today, we're going to look at the story of David and the Philistine. And, and as we look at it, I, I want to start from, we look at that story the way people look at this Green Day song, the way my graduating class did. We look at it as a story that we say, well, I'm pretty sure I know what it means. But then when you read it and when you understand it and when you understand where it comes from, you go, that's a weird story or song to use in that way. Before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that we can celebrate Hannah and Sarah, and we thank you that we can celebrate our students. I thank you for the students who are serving on our streaming team, serving on our stage, and, and serving all over the building, and our, our church is so blessed by them. Um, and I pray as I preach this service that it would reach their hearts, and it would reach all of our hearts here. I pray that these would be your words and not mine. I pray as we look at this story that is in some ways a childhood classic and in many ways a completely misunderstood story. I, I pray that you would open, your eye, or open our eyes and that we would see it the way you would have us see it. And we would value things the way you value them, not the way of humanity or the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our story today begins in 1 Samuel 16. And if you are familiar with the story of David and the Philistine, you may say, well, Matt, in my Bible, the heading starts in, in it's the start of chapter 17. And, and the problem here is that we're talking about the wrong story when we do that. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, Saul, the current king of Israel, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Samuel's being smart here. You see, Samuel is the one who anointed Saul. And when Samuel anointed Saul, Saul knew that he would be king. And so if Saul hears that Samuel has gotten his horn of oil and he's ready to go anoint another king, Saul's probably not going to be okay with that. What's most important here, the Lord says, I have rejected Saul. Now, we don't have time to talk about Saul. We're jumping into the middle of Samuel and we're just going to spend a little bit of time on this, but Saul started off a very great king. In, in fact, Saul started off such a good king that his heart wasn't rejected by the Lord initially, or at least it didn't seem that way. And that's the question we're trying to answer today. What does it look like to have a heart that the Lord will not reject? And we're going to look at four hearts today. It's just going to take two services to do it. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? And what we need to remember here is we need to remember what Saul looked like when he first became king. Because today, we're not looking at the story of David and the Philistine. Today, we're looking at the story of the second anointed king of Israel and what he did once he was anointed. The Philistine does not matter. Saul was anointed in 1 Samuel like 9 and 10. Saul starts off his story. His father has lost donkeys and his father sends him to look for the donkeys. Saul does not go alone. He has a young boy or a servant go to help him. Saul is tall and good looking. It's of note. Saul meets Samuel at a sacrifice. Saul actually shows up because his servant boy says, hey, we can't find the donkeys. Maybe we should go find the donkeys. And his servant, or maybe we should go back. And, and then his servant boy is like, hey, what if we go ask Samuel and inquire of the Lord and the Lord will tell us. And so Saul meets Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul. The Lord tells Saul, Samuel to anoint Saul. The Spirit of God rushes on Saul. After that, we see Saul prophesy. He starts speaking the words of the Lord. He, he starts to look like, like what you would hope a king would be. And then seven days after Saul is anointed, um, the Israelites gather together because they've been asking Samuel for a king. And, and Samuel says, all right, I'll give you a king. And, and um, Saul knows he's going to be king. And Samuel does this thing where for the Israelites, he's like rolling dice and they are casting lots. And, and the goal is we're going to figure out who is going to be the next king. And so they're like drawing the short straw over and over and over. And eventually it lands on Saul's tribe of Benjamin and then on Saul's household and then eventually on Saul. And Saul is not there because he is hiding among the baggage or the supplies. And the people have to inquire of the Lord and say, Lord, where is Saul? And the Holy Spirit reveals, or the Spirit of God reveals to them, Saul is among the baggage. And then when they go over to the baggage and they see him and he stands up, it turns out he is a head and shoulders taller than everyone else. And so even though this man was scared they might reject him, when they see him, they go, that guy's tall, he's a king. The next thing we see is an enemy challenges Israel. And then the Lord delivers Israel through Saul. And Saul does not have the right kind of heart. And we're going to see that today. But Saul started off well. So Samuel says, I I don't know how, like, uh, Lord, you want me to go do this, but Saul will kill me if he finds out. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Samuel acts in obedience. 
and he came to Bethlehem. And when he gets there, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably or do you come in peace? Now, the very last story right before the anointing of David's story, Saul has done something terrible. David, or not David, Saul has done something terrible. Samuel tells him the Lord has rejected you. Saul begs Samuel over and over, please come in front of me before the people so they don't know that the Lord has rejected me. And and Samuel's like, you fear man, but you don't fear God. And they have this moment where it's really negative and Saul's like begging him and Saul pulls on his robe and, and, and Samuel's robe tears and Samuel's like, just as this robe has torn, so has the kingdom been ripped from you. It's like this epic moment. And then something happens that we don't have time to even talk about, but essentially Samuel kills someone Saul was supposed to in front of all the assembly of Israel and, and, and you read it and you go, oh my gosh, Samuel is ticked. And so when the, when the people, the elders of, of Bethlehem see Samuel, they're remembering that the last thing Samuel did was pretty, and, and so they're trembling, and, and he responds to them peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now remember, Samuel is here to anoint a king. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And, and, and what, what's happening here is, remember, Samuel anointed Saul. Saul is tall, he's handsome, he looks like a king. And now Samuel sees Eliab, and when he sees Eliab, he goes, that's a king, that's a king. All right, I'll get the oil out. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, just like Saul. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There's a theme in the passage we're reading today of 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And that that theme is seeing. And so there's looking, there's seeing over and over. But there's a word here, look, that behind it in the Hebrew is a word that means more consider or evaluate. The, The Lord says to Samuel, do not consider, do not judge and value him based on what you're seeing. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man is going to judge and evaluate based on what man sees on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. And this is the heart of everything we're going to talk about today. The Lord looks on the heart, so do not consider outward appearance. Do not consider the height of stature. The Lord sees not as a man sees. So, what happens out of this is first Eliab is rejected and then David has, or Jesse has six other sons and the six other sons come before Samuel and the Lord's like, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. And then finally Samuel says, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. Now, If any of you have younger siblings, have you ever had to wait to eat for a younger sibling? What a terrible thing to have to do. But imagine everyone is here and Samuel's been evaluating them and like, hmm, nope, the Lord doesn't. And and, and, and somehow in this, so they're all being introduced and and Samuel says to Jesse, your youngest son, and, and Jesse didn't even think I should bring my youngest son 
because he's out with the sheep. He is of no consequence at this point. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And i got to point a few things out here. The first thing is, we know this is David. We know this is David, but the author of the book of Samuel, who was not Samuel because Samuel dies, spoiler alert, before the end of 1 Samuel, and 1 and 2 Samuel are just one really long book. Just like this sermon is one really long sermon. Full circle. Um, but uh, the, the, the point is, is the author intentionally avoids saying David to raise the drama. Because what's about to happen, David will matter much more after his anointing than before. The other thing is he mentions he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But remember, do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. The fact that he was handsome and had beautiful eyes and was ruddy, whatever that means, does not matter. It's just said. It's just said. And he sent and brought him. And, and the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon da-da, David. The first time the name is used is after the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, in your Bibles, there's like a break here, and then there's Saul tormented by an evil spirit in, in a heading. Um, but, but note, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. In the very next verse, now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time for this. When we read a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him, we might start to think, well, God sounds kind of like a jerk. But... But if we read this story and critically think, we were just in the book of Revelation and we talked about God's judgment. And when God offers judgment, it is to punish, but it is also to call to repentance. The harmful spirit from the Lord that is tormenting Saul, if we read it in a, in a biblical, canonical way, is not the Lord saying, I don't like you anymore. It's the Lord saying, repent. It's the Lord saying, if you're going to act this way, here's the consequence. You've lost my spirit, and this is what it's been replaced with. Repent. But Saul doesn't repent. And so Saul's servant said to him, Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, which is an instrument, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Now, when Saul's feeling bad, his servants say, Let's turn the music up. Let's be honest, that's what's happening here. They don't say, let's repent. They recognize it's from God, but their solution isn't, we should repent. Their solution isn't, we should do the right thing by the standards of God's word. We shouldn't go to the priest. We shouldn't go to Samuel. We shouldn't turn to the Lord and say, we have done wrong. They say, turn the music up. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me, and the word behind it. Saul said to his servants, look for me, for a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skilled and skillful in playing a, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. 
So David winds up coming into Saul's service. Saul sends for Jesse, and David winds up in Saul's service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. The Lord... The Lord, the Holy, or the Spirit of the Lord rushes on David, and now David winds up ministering to the king of Israel, David, who will be the next king. And it's at this point that we come to the end of 1 Samuel 16, and people have a problem here because as we jump into the next passage, we're going to find out that Saul doesn't really know who David is. He just knows David's good at the instrument, and, and we'll talk about that in the second service. But the very next verse after this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze hung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield-bearer went before him. Now, some of you you are not familiar with six cubits in a span. That's like nine feet. Some of you are not, con- are not aware that 5,000 shekels of bronze would be about 125 pounds of bronze. Um, the, it, it, the 600 shekels of iron would probably be about 15 pounds of iron. I, had a, I missed a really great opportunity to do a metric system joke here, um, and I just remembered I was going to do it. But it's too late. Probably not worth mentioning. But so we see this champion named Goliath of Gath. He was nine feet tall. He was wearing a set of armor unlike anything anyone else would have been able to wear. He was a strong man. He was a warrior. And what does he do? Oh, wait, we got to pause. Does it matter how tall he is? Because do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When we consider the size of this champion of the Philistines from Gath. We need to remember, do not consider his appearance or height. Do not consider his appearance or height. So he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. For 40 days this happened. The Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. 
If, if you read through, we're, we're skipping over some verses about David going to and fro, but if you read carefully, it seems like David is probably still in Saul's service, but he's also a faithful shepherd and a faithful son, and so he takes care of his father's household while his other, older brothers are at war, and his father, Jesse, seems to be a very faithful Israelite in that he's supplying the army because they're out for 40 days. 40 days is a long time. 40 days to supply food for an army is a long time, and the Israelites would have needed to be resupplied. Do you know who else would have needed to be resupplied? The Philistines. And so now we have to have a, we have to have a conversation about why is this the Philistines' plan? Why are they like, hey, we, let's just have our one guy fight them. For 40 days, that's a, that's a lot of time and resources to put into a battle. And we know from elsewhere in the Bible that the Philistine army was probably in this situation much more powerful than the Israelite army. Well, to understand this, we have to go to the last time in the book of Samuel that the Israelites fought against the Philistines. In a similar terrain with mountains and a valley, the Israelites were all hiding in caves. This was one of Saul's first major battles. Um, and, and, and the Israelites were all terrified. Saul was terrified. In fact, at that time, the Israelites only had two swords in their entire nation. Saul had one of them, and his son Jonathan had the other. And the Philistines were mocking the Israelites, but they were unable to find them and scale a battle because the Israelites were all running and hiding in holes. And so the, the Philistines were joking about this, and they were looking for Saul because if they killed Saul, they could end the battle and subjugate the Israelites. And then Jonathan, with his armor bearer, Jonathan at this point in time, a young man, decides he's going to go out alone to a Philistine garrison, which would have been at least 20 Philistines, if not many more. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, we're going to go out. Let's just go see what happens. If they tell us, hey, come on up, we'll go on up and the Lord will deliver them into our hands. And, and so, so Jonathan goes, one man and his armor bearer, but still one man, and he attacks the Philistines because they say, hey, hey, come on up. And he kills a bunch of them. And out of that, all of the Philistines start fleeing. And all of the Israelites who have been in hiding come out of the woodwork and they start winning this battle. And the Israelites have a great victory because one man stepped forward in the name of the Lord. And the Philistines don't know the whole story about Jonathan, but I think what they remember when they approach this battle line with, with their giant, the champion from Gath, when they do that, I think what they remember is, it took one man to kill us last time, so let's get our big one man up front, and let's take out their guy first, and then we'll win this battle. I could be completely wrong here, but when you just read Samuel in order, it just stands out. Because the, Phil the Israelites, we see in a moment, whenever Goliath came out and challenged them, they flee, they run, they hide. And it looks like this last story where the Israelites are cowardly and they're running from the battle line. They don't think they can win this fight. And so the Philistines are playing by the rule that the reason the Israelites won the last battle, they see as a man sees. The reason the Israelites won the last battle is because they had the best man in the battle. They see it wrong. Now Saul and the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And, and you may say, well, it seems like we're starting a new unit here, but I think we're seeing stressed by the author over and over the story that's happening and how silly it is that they have not fought 
Goliath yet. They're fighting with the Philistines, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. Note, he's responsible for the sheep. Saul loses donkeys, David keeps the sheep. Um, And he took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. Pause. Remember that Saul hid amongst the baggage for fear he might be rejected. David is amongst the baggage. And what does he do? He, charge, or he goes out to where the danger is because he wants to see the Lord deliver the Israelites. He is confident in what the Lord will do. And so he went out to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers doing what his father had told him to do. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, David hearing this name, I refuse to say again, once David heard him, this name never shows up again in the Bible, except as his sword or his head. He no longer matters. In the same way that David is named, after the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, when David hears the enemy of Israel who is defying them, no longer does that man's name matter. No longer is he this great and mighty and anything as we are about to see. So we're going to pause here for a moment. We're about to see David deliver Israel. When we first met Saul, he was looking for lost donkeys. David faithfully shepherds. Saul is tall and good looking. David is handsome and and we don't know. David's a youth, but youth is a broad term in Hebrew. He could be 20. He could be like 10. I don't think he is, but he's a youth. And so what do we assume? We assume he's small and short because he's a youth. We Anna Heflin, will you stand up for us? That is our image of David. Okay? Damola, will you stand up? No, Anna, you got to stay standing. Um, Damola is also a youth. For those of you at home, Anna is... I, I, I should have brought you guys. It's too late. Um, Anna is a, about this tall. Damola is... If I reach my arm up high enough, my shirt will come untucked for Damola's height. And then Jacob, will you stand up? Jacob is also a youth, and he is taller than Damola. Okay, you can all sit back down. Thank you. Thank you. The point is, is we think of David as small because we want to think of David as small because then when David wins the battle, we can go, wow, what a cool story. God uses a little guy to beat a big guy. I'm going to talk about VeggieTales later. David is brought to Samuel at a sacrifice. David is faithfully serving his father and has to be brought. Samuel anointed Saul. Samuel anointed David. The Spirit of God rushes on David. David ministers to Saul. David runs from the baggage towards the Israelites. An enemy challenges Israel. In Saul's day, it was a king whose name I don't have time to pronounce properly, but um, there was this king or this army that went up against a city in Israel and offered a challenge in a similar way. And Saul called Israel together and they defeated that challenger. In the same way, David, after his anointing, a challenger rises up. 
The Lord delivers Israel through David. There's a parallel here. There's a very clear parallel here. And this is why the anointing of David is the story that we modernly call the story of David and the Philistine. And when we skip the anointing part, we miss most of the story. All of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, note, the man, because David has now heard him, he no longer needs a name. The man. They fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel, look, 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 look. Um, they saw the man. They're also men. Do you see? Do you see? I hope you see, because I think this is such an amazing thing. As soon as David enters the picture and hears this man's boast, the man is immediately minimized. No longer is he the champion. No longer is he named. And I want to say his name, but I don't want to say it. He's now a man. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I wish I had another like three weeks for this sentence. Because in the book of Samuel, in in many Old Testament narratives, the first time a character speaks, the author is showing you their heart. When Saul first spoke, after he went looking for his father's donkeys, his first words were, hey, we should go back, because maybe dad's worried about me now. David is faithful. Saul is a bum. David's first words bring to light something that only two other people in the Bible so far have said. That phrase, the living God, was said by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy referring to the God who he was with on Mount Sinai. And the Israelites recognized the holiness of that God. David talks about the living God. The other person is Joshua. Right before the Israelites begin their conquest of Jericho and of the promised land, Joshua says to the Israelites, so that you will know that we follow the living God or that he's going to win this battle for us. And in the first words of David, he draws on that imagery of some of the, up to this point, the two greatest people of the faith. And not only that, he talks about Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. Um, one of the, okay, so um, I'm going to embarrass either Hannah or Sarah. I don't remember which one. Um, oh, you pointed at, you're making, I'm not going to tell anyone else. So, but now I know. Okay, one of my first weeks teaching at the church. I'd only been here a few weeks and I was teaching Sunday school and I, a passage talked about circumcision so I just went through it and one of our two graduating seniors raised their hand and said, what's circumcision? Um, and it was one of the most awkward moments in the world because I was like trying to figure out how to answer it. Um, and I, in front of all these students that I had like no relationship with, I've been at the church like I think less than a month at this point um, and it was the most awkward thing in the world but it, it worked out. They stayed and I stayed. So, um, But I, I say that because... Um, when David says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine, what we have to see here is that circumcision is not about 
the, see, um, I preach on circumcision too often. Um, but um, circumcision is about a covenant with God. And when he says the uncircumcised Philistine and the living God, what he's saying is, why are you all worried about someone outside of God's covenant? Because God promised to Joshua and the Israelites, and, all, and God has made this promise over and over to Moses, to Joshua, to the judges. He's made this promise that if you will follow him, he, the living God, will deliver you from anyone who rises against you, especially they're in the promised land right now. This is the land God promised to drive out all their enemies before them so they could have this land. Now their enemies are trying to encroach, and David is like, it's not that Goliath is out there naked. He's got 125 pounds of armor on. David knows he is not a part of God's covenant people. Therefore, why are any of you afraid? And you might say, because the last thing said was the men say, here's what's going to happen. You might think that David here is saying, well, what can I gain from this? And I think that's a wrong reading. I think what David is saying here, and because I, I think this very clearly is illustrated, and you'll have to come to the second service because it takes like three more verses and we have to stop on this verse right now. But the, what is happening right now is David is looking at these Israelites and like a king, David is saying, you know what, you know what will be done for you. You know this man is an uncircumcised Philistine outside of God's covenant, and you are a part of the armies of the living God. Go do your job. God will deliver you. He is acting like a king right now. He is saying, hey, go do this. He's trying to tell the people, you know what God is going to do for you in this moment. He's being a king. The Lord's anointed acting kingly. Now, we're going to stop here, <laughs> which is, it's weird, I know. Um, but the, again, the second service, will stream it, stick around, or it'll be on our Facebook and our podcast and all over the place. But in this service, we've started to answer to the question, what does it look like to have a heart that the Lord will not reject? And the answer we've seen so far is the Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not about power. David does not consider Goliath. <laughs> he does not consider the man. Um, our kids know, I, I always try not to say the name. David does not consider the uncircumcised Philistine beyond the fact that he is outside of God's covenant. He doesn't say, hmm, that guy has some very big weapons or very great armor. He just starts looking around saying, you guys know we're part, or, and, and let me say that, oh man, I missed this, but I, I'm coming back to it. When David says the armies of the living God, do you know who David is not a part of? The armies of the living God. David is a servant in the household of Saul. David is a son and a shepherd of Jesse who, who is here wondering why the army of the living God is not doing its job, which is to drive out those who are outside of God's covenant from the land that God has promised them. David understands that the battle is not about power. He's wondering why no one else gets that. And David said to the men, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not about power. The battle is the Lord's. <laughs> um. I, 
I'm going to have, um, I, I'm going to do my best here. Veggie Tales, Values to Grow By, David and the Giant Pickle, A Lesson in Self-Esteem. Um, before I went to seminary, before I went to seminary, the most impactful thing I knew about Esther was that she was a P. Before I went to seminary, I, the, and the song gets stuck in my head still, he's big, I'm little, or no, they're big, I'm little, they go, I twiddle, God, something about little things, big things, and, and the idea of this story in Veggie Tales is this, they get a letter, and I think this person is fake. Myra Eggleston seems like a fake person to me. I think that the person who wrote this VeggieTales story um, had to have somebody who wrote a letter in because that's how they told all their stories. So I'm coming at their integrity from that angle first. Um, Myra Eggleston says that her siblings are all older than her and can do all kinds of things that she's too little for, and any of the, and she's too little for any of those things and wonders what's special about her. So I copied and pasted that and it's got a typo but I cited it, so it's not my fault. Um, but Myra Eggleston is asking, look at all the things, the appearance, how man sees, how humanity sees. Look at all the things that my older siblings can do. do. I wish I could do those things. I wish I was special. And what she's saying is I wish I was special by the standards of the world. I wish when men saw me, they saw Goliath. <laughs> That's what she's saying, and you may not see it this way, but when you watch the story, and I watched the story like a week ago, and I didn't have a heart attack, but I did have heartburn by the end of it. When you watch the story of Dave and the Giant Pickle, the point of the story is that God can win battles by force and by power and by might. And instead of talking about a story of obedience where, where David knew he didn't need power because God said he would do something, therefore God will do it. Instead of making the story about what the story is about, the VeggieTales story is about how a little guy can have power too. And they are not considering the heart. They are considering the outward appearance and the height. They are looking at Anna Heflin and saying, Anna could beat a giant. And that's what they turned the story into. I joked with Michelle and Pri that I hope they get rid of all of our copies of that movie but I will also tell you all, I will never let Lucy watch most of the Veggie Tales. And you guys might be like, Matt, you're a terrible person for that. Um, she can see the silly songs. But the problem is, is at some point, those stories do something heinous. And that is they take stories about God and stories where you're supposed to see God at work and stories where you're not supposed to look by the values of the world. And they turn them into morality tales about self-esteem and about how God can use you too. Instead of thinking, am I on God's side? You start thinking, how can God make things better for me? The Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not about power. I'm not going to read this because that's for next service. The Lord accepts a heart. Oh man, here's our final point. What David understands and what I hope you take from this and the second part, is you need to understand God with such integrity 
consistently that no matter what Philistine arises, you are able to respond with wise action that leads others to begin to understand God and do the same. What separates David is not, he says, I can kill that Philistine. He says the armies of the living God should not worry about those outside of God's covenant. Why has the battle drawn on for 40 days? If you understood God, if you understood what God has promised you, armies of the living God, this would have been like a five-minute thing. I wouldn't have had to bring cheese for all the commanders. Students, and especially graduating students. The world is going to tell you all that the way to win is to have power. The world is going to tell you more than that. More than that, it's not just having power, it's defining your power by your own terms, right? Because the world will say, well, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, it matters that you have a good identity in yourself and you do all the right things and and no one can take that away from you. You are your own power. That's what the world says. The world wants you to believe these things. The world wants you, and and I don't mean to diminish you girls, but, but a diploma on its own does not make you any more godly than all the students who haven't graduated yet. Hurry up, though, okay? Don't hurry up. I'm going to miss you all. But, but the, the, the point is, is that, that the college you go to, the things you do at it, the, the, the career you may build for yourselves, the life you may build on its own is like Goliath's armor. The, the places that you may think I need to get to in this world and the way you may think, I, if, I, if I live this way, if I follow these things, the Lord, uh, I'll be good in the eyes of the Lord or, or different things. The, the, the problem that we run into is we don't understand God in the first place. We think we need God to come fight our earthly battles for us because we don't recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, the battle was won. In Romans 8, Paul writes, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What David uniquely understands that the whole army of the living God fails to realize is that the battle is the Lord's. It's not a matter of going and using his earthly power to fight it, as we're going to see in the second service. But what he understands, and my prayer for all of you, and my hope that our youth ministry is producing in you, and my hope that our church is producing in the next generation as a whole, is that you recognize that you don't need any power of this earth Because it cannot take away what Jesus has done. He is your resurrected king. He has disarmed in the same way that David will disarm this Philistine. He has disarmed the most powerful things that the the most powerful things that the world could put in front of you. And I praise the Lord that there's no battle to be fought 
that he has not won already. Let's pray. Lord, when you look at us, when you consider us, we thank you that you do not consider us in the ways of this world because if you did, we would be nothing. We thank you that when you look at us, when you consider us, you see our hearts. And Lord, we confess that often in our hearts we act like those of this world. We act like those who are so focused on appearance and on the things of this world that we miss out on who we are to be in you. But we pray, Lord, that we would recognize that you have already fought and won the battles. We pray we would recognize that in your Son, the power we have is not a power to fight against the world, but a power to understand that that fight's already been won. I pray we would look to follow David's example. I pray for the second service as we go deeper into this story that we would come to realize why you rejected Eliab, why you rejected Saul, and why you rejected the Philistine. And I pray we would step forward in the way that you have called us to. I pray we would not put our faith in the things of this earth, but that we would faithfully follow in your name. You are the living God, and we thank you that you invite us to be a part of your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand once more and respond to this word that we have heard this morning in worship together.
so much for worshiping with us this morning. I encourage you, if you have the time, to stick around and hear the second part of Matt's sermon, or as he mentioned, it will be online on our podcast and on our Facebook page, so you'll want to hear the second half of that message. Thank you again for spending time with us this morning. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in Him.